0: Well, I'm so excited to get into this message this morning. We're going to have a good time in the house of God today. Um, It's funny, as I was putting this message together, and I was actually just reminded of a story because we're in the religion rehab series, right? Religion rehab. And I'm going to kind of um, uncover and bring us into understanding of what religion, what legalism is, but then really who Jesus is in our life. And as I was thinking about this, it's funny when I, um, how do people know pastors um, Katie and Mike Yeager? Katie's preaching over in Kids Church right now. That's why she's not here. But um, when I first met Katie, she came to the church and she was a Christian and she was kind of getting to know the culture of this church and this house. And she felt like God had told her to uh, get to know me and to become friends with me and to learn from me. And so she rocked up one Sunday. I didn't know her at all. And she just said, hey, I don't know what to say, but I just feel like God told me to um, be your friend. (laughs) And I was like... Okay, and um, now she happened to be an awesome, amazing human being, and we started to get to know each other, and early on in our friendship, I remember one day we were taking a walk in Del Mar, and it was the ocean, and it's pretty right, and we're taking a walk, and she goes, hey, so Pastor Stacy, I just want to let you know that I'm really religious, and she did it with like a big smile, and I'm like what an odd thing to say. Like, I'm like, and, I, and, I, and then I realized she thought that was a good thing. And then in my understanding of Scripture and in my walk in Christianity, I understood that to not be a good thing. So I looked at her and I said, oh, you do know that that's not a good thing. And she looked at me puzzled. What's a good thing we were on an hour walk. We had a lot of time to uncover the truths of Jesus and unravel some theology that got tweaked along the way. And so I'm excited to bring to you a little bit of what I was able to share with her on that long walk. And how many people know that different things will speak to us at different times like anything can? I want you guys to take a look at this screen. Uh, how, many have people, how many of us have had a childhood? Yep, all of us. Good. How many people have watched um, Sesame Street? Have kids right now, you watch Sesame Street. Well, there's a line out of Sesame Street that actually caught my attention that I think will help us understand actually the difference of what religion and legalism and all that kind of fun stuff is. So take a look at the screen. Sing along if you remember these lines. One of these things is not like the others One of these things doesn't belong Can you tell which thing is not like the other By the time I finish this song? song one of these things is not like the other my point very first point in this message is that religion and legalism is not Jesus the world has made us think that if they look the same they sound the same that it is the same and we have been duped into thinking what a ploy a strategy of the devil to have us believe that religion and legalism is actually Jesus there is actually a really big difference. How many people have heard, um, you know, you, you hear a lot of times out in the world and with people that Christians are judgy. Christians are just a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. Ever, ever been told that or heard that? A lot of people don't come inside the doors of the church because that's what they think. And it, it, it pains me and it hurts my heart because I'm like, oh my gosh, you didn't have a revelation, that's not Jesus. That's religion, and that's legalism. See, I would take it a step further, and I would actually say that we should reject religion and reject legalism, but we should never reject Jesus. I want to kind of debunk the theory that Christians are judgy and hypocritical. And this is how I'm going to do it. Here's the dictionary of religion. A specific fundamental set of beliefs and practices generally agreed upon by a number of people. I find that interesting. That's not God. A number of people join together and decide this is a set of beliefs that is known as religion. So, people create religion, but then I found it go kind of a step further. And if I was honest, that's what I see a little bit more kind of creep in sometimes into the church is legalism. And that is this here's the theology of legalism the doctrine that salvation is gained through good works, the judging of conduct adhering to precise laws. So, if I'm understanding this correctly, you earn salvation. This is what Religion and legalism says, you earn salvation through good works, and then you are judged according to your conduct, your behavior, or your misbehavior in accordance with very specific laws. That's religion and legalism. What a ploy, what a horrible smear campaign and poor representation of Jesus and Christianity that is. When people ask me if I'm religious, my answer is no. No, no, I am not religious. But I am a believer of Jesus. Because here's the thing, what works are good enough? Who decides what these works, which work is good? Like, is, is it Mother Teresa? Is that my standard of what we think a good work is? Or is it that I let somebody cut me off in traffic and I didn't swear at them? Like, what level of good work Who decides who these good works? And then the problem with that is, is that when we don't adhere to the standard of people and we misbehave or we do things that are not necessarily godly, maybe we sin, we do things, then all of a sudden those same people will judge us for it. That, my friends, is not Jesus. That is not Christianity. I don't think people are rejecting Jesus so much as they are rejecting religion and legalism. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things do not belong. Come on, it's the same. It's not like the other. Religion and legalism is not like Jesus. Romans 10.9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A Christian is simply this, a follower of Jesus. Christian literally means the party of Christ, a follower of Christ. That term was actually brought about in Antioch in the book of Acts 11.26, and that's where the disciples were first called Christians, followers of Christ. Galatians 2.20 says this: I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Jesus, the premise of, of, of our relationship, our Christianity, is that we believe in Jesus. We don't believe him and accept him in our only in our head or in theory, but actually believe in our hearts that he died and that he rose again. Paul did not say, I live in a Christ-like way or I glorify Christ through my behavior. He said, Christ lives in me. Now, if Christ lives in you, if the God of the universe who made heaven and earth and made all of mankind lives in us, do do you think that some things in our life will change? Of course it will. That's the fruit, that's the evidence that we are Christians. But we can't, see, see, the world wants to put it the other way around, where we have to do the good works and have a certain behavior to earn salvation. It's actually the opposite. We believe in Jesus, we get saved, and the byproduct is that we live a life that glorifies God. We live a life beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations because we've got the good God of the universe. On the inside of us. Can I hear an amen? Okay. So I don't change my behavior to be saved. I am saved. And so then my behavior typically will change. Point number two. God saves, loves, and redeems what the world judges and discards. God saves, loves, and redeems what the world judges and discards. I want to share with you a story that I think perfectly depicts everything that I have just talked about. I think it's one of the greatest stories in the Bible that reveals the motives of religion and then shows the loving goodness of God, the redemption of Jesus. And I find that through the life of Rahab. Now, here's the thing. When I was preparing for this message, I happened to read the first chapter of Matthew, and I was going through the genealogy. Now, of all places to find revelation, I did not suspect that it would come from reading a genealogy. But I'm gonna share with you some things that God revealed to me that blew my mind in who God is and who we are in accordance with him through the story of Rahab. So the genealogy goes like this. In Matthew one, two, it starts out like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus. So this is the line in which Jesus has come through. Uh, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And then it keeps going. And then I got to the part where it said Rahab. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this this story of Rahab, but there's so much more to the story that was revealed to me through this genealogy. So In order to understand it, I'm going to share with you the story of Rahab. Now, for sake of time, I can't read every scripture. So go back in your own time and read through the book of Joshua. You'll find the story of Rahab there. But I'm going to summarize it for us. So Rahab um, lived in Jericho. How many people remember Joshua? Joshua and the promised land, and he um, sent out two spies to go into the promised land, the land of Jericho. This is where the huge, you know, walls were around the city, and he sent in two spies to go check out the land. So the two spies go in, and they go in through the house of the prostitute Rahab. I find that funny. I'm like, clearly some men came up with this plot. (laughs) How are we going to get into this impenetrable city? I know, the house of a prostitute. I'm kidding, I love all of you men. I'm just like, okay, I get it, I get it. Anyways, so they go through to to her house. Now, word had gotten out that these spies were there and that the Israelites were coming and the people were in fear um, he just hearing about the God of Israel, the one true God, and Rahab herself had also heard of this God. And when the two spies had come to her, she said to them, "Look, let's make a deal. These people, my people, are after you, so I want to make a deal with you. I will show you kindness, and I'm going to hide you in my home so that they don't find you. And then you can go back to Israel and tell them of what you saw. And and so." You know, she says, but if I do this, if I show you kindness, will you then show me kindness? And when you come in and you take the city, will you make sure that me and my family are saved? My mother, my father, my brother, my sister, that we would be saved. And the two spies say, yes, we will make an oath with you today. And when we come in and we take the city, we will make sure, as long as you keep your word, that you and your family will be preserved and will be saved. And so that we know that it's you when we come in, I want you to throw out a red scarlet rope outside of your window so that we know when we come in, we will find you with that red rope and we will know that we should save you. Okay, so this is exactly what happens. The spies go back to Joshua. And then in Joshua 6.22, it says this we'll pick up the story. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and her sisters and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in the place outside of the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and the iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua Spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now, that was just an amazing story, right? But as I read the genealogy, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is not where the story ends. This is where the story begins. Why do I say that? First of all, Rahab was saved. The Greek word for saved is sozo. Sozo means the word saved actually means God heals, God restores, God delivers, and God makes whole. Oh my friends, Jesus was not just rescuing Rahab. He knew what happened to Rahab. He knew what the what woman she he knew what, the, what her religion and the people that her city were in. She, he knew what had happened to her. And he said, You know what? I'm not just gonna reconcile your eternity, but I am gonna heal those broken parts that, that people have condemned you, that people have taken from you. I'm going to minister to your broken heart. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to restore you. There's going to be redemption in your story. And then I'm going to make you whole, and I'm going to deliver you from everything, including the condemnation, the religion, the legalism that you have been bound up in. I am going to save you. Now, here's what's interesting. So she, and the Bible says, by her faith, because she only heard of the God, but believed enough. Could you imagine too, if she, if she was caught, that would have been treason, game over. She would have been dead, but she believed, there was a faith in her, believed in this one true God. And the Bible says, like I just read, it says, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Do you know who Rahab, that it says in the genealogy, married? Rahab married Salmon, I know it sounds like salmon. <sighs> I had to address it because it, it bothered me too, but just go with me, okay? S- salmon, it is an unfortunate name. Okay, she marries Salmon. Do you know who Salmon is? Salmon is the prince of the tribe of Judah. She marries into Christian royalty, my friends. She, she marries into the, one of the leading tribes of Israel. So we think, oh, she got rescued, she got saved. No, no, she didn't only just get rescued. That was only part of her story. She then marries the prince of the house of Judah. So the once prostitute marries the prince. And then the Bible says in the genealogy that Rahab and Solomon had a son. Do you know who that son is? Yes, let me tell you another little story. Anybody ever heard of Ruth and Naomi. Ruth and Naomi. Let me share with you a little bit of of their story. So Ruth and Naomi. Ruth's husband passes away. She has two sons who marry foreign women. Opar and Ruth. Her sons tragically also pass away. Naomi is in a a really desperate situation. And so she tells the two daughters-in-law, she says, look, I am in bad times here. So I'm going to give you permission to go back to your parents. Um, because at least maybe you'll be able to live. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I'm going to go back to the land of my family, to the tribe of Judah. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. I'm going to go back there, but you know what? You don't have to come with me. So Opar says, okay, you know what? I'm going home to my family. But then Ruth, as we know the story says, she says, no, no, your God is my God. Your people are my people. She had a faith in her. So she went, I'm going where you are going. So off she goes with Naomi. They come into this land. They are destitute. They are just trying to make it. They are trying to survive. And they come upon harvest fields. And Ruth says, Naomi says to Ruth, listen, sweetheart, as the harvesters come and they're harvesting wheat and grain, whatever drops from their baskets, you just pick that up. Just go behind them and pick that up. And that is what we will try to live off of. So their their whole understanding at that point, they're, they're just going, let's try to survive. So that is what they do. Then a man comes into the picture that owns that harvesting field and knows of the story, has heard of the story of Naomi coming from a foreign land and Ruth staying with her, believing in the one true God. And he says to Ruth, he says, listen, sweetheart, I'm gonna tell my harvesters to actually leave some extra grain and you pick that up and you live off of that. And in fact, I'm gonna give you some drinking water. I'm gonna give you some food so that you are taken care of, heard of your situation Ruth goes back she tells her 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 mother-in-law Naomi everything that had happened then at the end of harvesting time they're like what are we gonna do so Naomi who's a bitter older woman and I don't just make that up it says it in the Bible she actually changed her name to bitterness okay so she's a bitter older woman says listen Ruth the best that we can do right now is this When this man goes, works all day, and then he eats, he drinks, and he goes to sleep at night, I want you to do this. I want you to go into where he's sleeping. I want you to go to the end of his bed, and when he wakes up, hopefully, he will sleep with you, and we will be taken care of. Now, we need to be careful to listen to bitter old women, (laughs) but how many people know God works through anyone? including bitter people. And so Ruth obeys and she does this. Now this man is put in a very vulnerable position. And most people would think like, look, you know what, this has all happened, take advantage of, of the girl. But how interesting that this man wasn't any man. This man's name was Boaz, known as the Kingsman Redeemer. Do you know that when he woke up and saw Ruth at the end of his bed, instead of sleeping with her that night, he says to her, sweetheart, I have heard of your story that you came from a foreign land. I have heard that you have believed in our one true God. And I am not just going to sleep with you. I want to marry you. I want to go and I want to make it right because I'm an And so I'm going to go into this city because there's actually someone in our family that's a little bit closer as a Kingsman redeemer. I got to make sure that that's taken care of so that I can then marry you. Why would this man do that? Because this man Boaz was the son of a redeemed prostitute. He was the very son that was raised by Rahab, a person who came from a foreign land, who believed in the one true God, and who raised her son in the most honorable of ways. How amazing is the redemption of God? Ruth and Naomi were looking to survive, and God was saying, I have come to redeem and restore all that was lost. Do we understand the lineage of redemption? Not only that, but from that very line is the line that Jesus Himself chose to come through. This is the lineage and the genealogy of Jesus. Boaz, the kingsman redeemer, this is the, the definition of that, is a male relative who, according to the laws of the Bible, meant he had the privilege. Or responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, danger, or need. The Hebrew term Goel for kingsman redeemer designates one who delivers or rescues or redeems a property or a person. Boaz is the kingsman redeemer. Do we understand the depth of this? Like Rahab the prostitute, she she's She believes in God, has faith in God. Imagine the rescue story, amazing. But then not only that, she then doesn't get any man. She marries the prince of the tribe of Judah. She marries into that line. She then raises Boaz, the kingsman redeemer, He was the Kingsman Redeemer from the family, but he was already prophesying the true Redeemer who would redeem all of mankind himself, Jesus. This is the redemptive story of the love of Jesus to you and to me. And here's the thing. The world, religion, legalism, they would have left Rahab as a prostitute, discarded her, and instead God saved her, redeemed her and her entire lineage. Jesus was born through this family line. Number three, God cares about the person while religion and legalism only care about the outward. You know, when I was researching this message, there were actually commentaries and different theologians that tried to say that this Rahab wasn't the same Rahab that married Salmon. They also tried to say that she wasn't actually a prostitute but that she was an innkeeper because she owned a home. I'm like unless well, she probably owned the brothel. <laughs> and see God is really good with highlighting. In fact, m- multiple times, over 4 times in the Bible, Rahab is listed as Rahab the prostitute. I find that very interesting. Why? Because Jesus has no problem calling out the sin because he doesn't define her or her past. He had redemption already in store for her. He knew that she would become a hero and the hallmark of the faith of God. They say she wasn't a prostitute, yet in Joshua 2.1, Rahab the prostitute. Joshua 6.25, Rahab the prostitute. J- James 2.25, Rahab the prostitute. Hebrews 11.31, Rahab the prostitute. See, religion has a really hard time with that. Why? Why would they think that that was abhorrent? Oh, because a perfect person, one whose conduct should be perfect and every behavior perfect. Well, that's, that's the lineage I want to come from. You will, you, will, you, you will make dirty my lineage if I have a prostitute in line with Jesus. And yet Jesus, he exemplifies, he actually knows this testimony and the redemption that is coming, so he has no problem calling it what it is. Here's the thing with religious, religion and legalism. They can't call sin, sin. Why? Because they have no solution. Well, what's the answer to an ailing, hurting world? What's the answer to it? They, they can't call it what it is because they have no answer. See, Jesus can call it what it is because he has in store forgiveness and redemption and restoration and salvation. That's why you hear, oh, abortion is now health care. One thing, not like the other. One thing. That's not Jesus. Jesus. They can't call it what it is. In fact, they tell people to revel in their sin because there's no answer. The world doesn't have the answers. But in Jesus, we find complete and total restoration and redemption. Let me say this. Jesus calls Rahab the prostitute because that is what she was. But he had a better plan and a solution for her. And that's why he highlights her sin because she goes down as in Hebrews 11, as one of the women of faith. You don't believe me. Here's Hebrews 11. This is the title in your Bibles when you read it. Title, titled, the Hall of Faith. Not the Hall of Fame. This is Jesus' Hall of Faith. Or Faith Hall of Fame is what it's called in the Bible. Only two women were listed in that, uh, in, in that category of the level of faith that go down as heroes in the faith. Do you know what kind of people are lined up with Rahab as heroes of the faith? Let me just tell you. Abel, first mar- martyr in the Bible. Enoch, the man who walked with God. Noah, faith accounted as righteousness. Abraham, the father of faith over the Jewish nation. Sarah, his wife, the mother of the Jewish nation, believing for a miracle child. Isaac, who is the miracle child of Abraham and Sarah, is listed for his own faith. Jacob, father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph, the interpreter of dreams. Moses, who receives the 10 commandments and leads all of Israel. Joshua, who leads the conquest of the promised land. Do you know what I love about Jesus? right after Joshua is Rahab. Jesus puts Joshua and Rahab on the same playing field of faith. Because he does not look through the eyes of religion or the eyes of legalism or the eyes of conduct or behavior. He looks through the eyes of redemption and he calls her and all of them and all of us a hero. My friends, what we think has held us back, what brokenness has been in our hearts and our spirits, the things that we have grappled with, those are the very things that qualify us to become a hero of the faith. Jesus doesn't look at our sin and leave us there. He provides not just a rescue, but he provides redemption. And he doesn't just redeem us, he redeems our legacy, our our spouses, our children, our children's children. He's into legacy. How good is our God? So Psalm 10, 103, 10 through 12 says this. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. If I could have the keys come up. My last point is this, point number four. Jesus desires a relationship with us because he loves us. See, when I read that genealogy, I read Rahab, Mary's Salmon, who has a son named Boaz, who has a son. And then it goes right into the lineage of Jesus. And I was gobsmacked, to be honest. I began to tear up because I'm like, man, we just see salvation as salvation, but God is seeing an entire line of redemption. He's seeing every person not as sinners but as heroes. What kind of a God, a loving God, who should not be associated with religion and legalism because that is not who he is. God designed you, he created you and I. Do you know that the Bible says that he thought of us before time began? He wanted one of me, one of you, before time even started. The Bible says this in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Do you know that you were consecrated before time? And in Jeremiah, it says, I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Our very life prophesies the redemption of Jesus. Jeremiah 29 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jesus died so that we could be saved in every way. You know what I find interesting in the Bible? In the story of Rahab, where they tell her to throw out the crimson rope? Jesus doesn't do anything by accident, it's all on purpose. In Isaiah 1:18 it says this, Come now let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. I think when she threw that rope out, red crimson rope, it was a declaration to the world that God has redeemed my every sin the blood of Jesus has saved me. That same red crimson blood that was put over the doorpost during Passover that when the angel of death came had to come and pass over because he saw the red crimson blood of Jesus. That rope was declaring the redemption of God himself that He would give His Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and that His blood would be shed to cleanse us from every sin, from every level of brokenness and bring us not just into rescuing, but into redemption. Jesus didn't just rescue her, He saved her and He redeemed her. And this morning, church, That's what God wants to do here. I came here today to tell you, you aren't your history and your past. That is not what defines you. You are a hero. And just in case you never heard that before, I wanna tell it to you again. When Jesus looks at you, He looks at a hero in the faith. And all that we need to do to become that hero is not a whole lot of works and a whole lot of trying harder and beating ourselves more. All we have to do is believe, not just in our head, but in our heart, that he saved us, that he died so that we would be saved in every way. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com.